that I hadn't really heard of before. Uh, you mentioned the, you know, asking yourself the question, does it make the boat go faster? Yeah, this is, I mean, I love this story. I, I can't co-opt all of it. I didn't come up with that saying this was a story from the Olympics and the early aughts of the 2000s, where um, basically the uh, this Olympic rowing team um, surprised the world by winning the rowing competition. And so then they were like asked, like, how did you do it? And they're like, oh, well, we asked this one simple question whenever we thought about things we could be working on. And they said, they, they said, we just asked, does it make the boat go faster? Because like at the end of the day, that's what you care about. And this really baked into me because like, it gives you like a single metric to measure things against. Like I have, and, and metric is important because you can measure if the boat is going faster, you know, you can measure that. And so you can say, will it make the go boat, boat go faster? Well, I think so. That's your bet. Right. And then important, you can follow up afterwards and say, did it make the boat go faster? No. Okay. Well, that was a bad bet. Let's figure out what we didn't know that made us make that bad bet. But like, when you, when you talk about like ergonomics and overhead and stuff like that, like, and especially around opinions, like there's a great way to distill this, right? Like, I think a lot of us get really confused just the way that our minds work. Like the brain is like, my way is the right way. Like there's synonymy there. And, and I think fundamentally, we all know when we hear somebody say that, well, that's not true. Your way is not the right way because my way is the right way. But we all like, that's just the way your brain works. That's not anybody's fault, but it's a great way to say like, okay, like, well, making people do this or like, you know, really forcing this, my opinion or my perspective onto this group, will it actually make things go faster? And I think there's two answers to this that are really important, Ram. Um, the first is quantifiably, will it make the boat go faster? And that one, usually the answer is no anyways. But second of all, like when we, when we accept the fact that change takes time, like if I'm like going to ask everybody to do something different in their code, right? And knowing that change takes time, I still have to ask the question, like, will the boat go faster? And on what scale? Like, right? Like, is this going to lead to, is the juice worth the squeeze? Is it going to lead to long-term change that makes things go faster? If not, then it's probably not worth doing. And that's why, like, I sort of have come to the, like, opinion now that, like, you know, there is the right technical decision to make. There is a technically superior tool that you may want want to choose but the best technical decision doesn't just choose it on its technical merits but also on the people merits because like like if you think the boat will go faster because you build a better boat but you forget that the people rowing it have to like be able to work and sit in that boat and everybody wants to sit in their same seat like that changes things and so yeah i i think asking the question like just having a single question like almost like a north star that says here's the thing we're measuring our decisions against and it makes decisions repeatable and more open right because like at some point you know if you're working in a large organization and you're driving change you want people to come to you and say what was the rationale behind this decision and you want to say it makes the boat go faster here's xyz and you can be wrong on that that's okay but at least now everybody understands like here's what's driving this decision and can i get behind it yeah no i remember the first time you had mentioned it i thought you know it, it makes absolute sense if you can take decisions that are usually, or they usually feel complicated, or sometimes we make them more complicated. But if we can just really dumb them down or make them super simple by asking a simple question, and it doesn't have to be, does it make the boat go faster? It could mean, it could be, you know. Whatever you care do, about as an organization. Yeah. Do we, are there any babies that are saved or lost by this right. decision, right? In our case. Um, yeah. But I wanted that's to talk about, one. yeah, that's the big one. Um, I wanted to talk about what, what one example of overhead that would be 
worth the squeeze, right? Or make the boat go faster in the long run, even in the short term, it feels like our boat is actually going slower. And one of those for me is, is TypeScript. In the beginning, there's lots of overhead. In the very beginning, you said, man, this boat has really slowed down. <laughs> but once you get it implemented or integrated into your code and into your uh, developer, like the mindset, you actually go faster in the long run. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think the same thing about like, you know, controls in general. TypeScript is a great one because the value that it provides in terms of like, like, and you know this, I think, um, for like I whenever I try to get people to adopt TypeScript, I always start with developer ergonomics, like, oh, it makes it easier to you know, like you don't have to check documentation and it's just right there in your IDE, so long as you're using VS Code, which some people might disagree as an IDE, and that's okay. Um but it's, I mean, it's a very robust text editor, at least. Anyways, and so like, I, I think TypeScript is a is a is a is a good example of an overhead that can facilitate flow. I also, you know, think about like pipeline checks and stuff like that. But like having those checks earlier in the system, one, like I guess anything that will promote, like you know, an overhead that is beneficial is something that will promote ergonomics. And when we think about ergonomics as the thing that makes it easier for you to have good technical posture, um, then like TypeScript is a great example of that. Like linting is even a, a great example of that. Like um, even though sometimes those will fail and it's like, oh my, you know, who cares? Like if this is, I mean, in the case of Prettier, who cares if it's single quotes or double quotes, but those things reduce the mental overhead and working in the code right. base. Um, and make it make it easier to read or like i mean especially ones like how many lines can be in this function or whatever it's like they they can they can be overhead but they can facilitate long term flow by by making sure that the mental model stays clean and i think that's uh that's also what typescript is doing is keeping your your mental model from being fuzzy we talk about like pipeline and how that can seem like and I have to, I'm having to wait on this pipeline and then something fails in the pipeline. And again, we could add a little bit more overhead up front, like with, um, you know, pre-commit hooks or pre-push hooks and catch it there. And then, you know, our pipeline is more robust or it has a greater opportunity for success, right? Mm -hmm. So um, these are some of the things that, like, I know that we're making a conscientious decision and I'm thinking about every time I'm, I'm writing code or I'm building uh, a new component or a new module as part of the things that we're working on, is I think about the person coming behind me. When they go to make this change, how much overhead is it going to require? Are they going to have to look at this code for half a day? Because sometimes that's what happens. We have mm -hmm. to we have to follow the rabbit hole and say, "Wow, gosh, where the heck is this thing being rendered from?" Yeah. Or even if that that person falling behind me is me six months later. Exactly. Um, and I have to like get back into my code base and I'm like, "Who wrote this? What on earth? <laughs> what were they thinking?" <laughs> right. What were they thinking? Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. it's me. And then I bust out my Git blame. And I'm like, oh, yeah. oh, I did this. And I, I wrote it in one big commit that says fixing things. Great. I know one of the things that I that I often, oh, one of the questions that I'll ask is, who thought this was a good idea? <laughs> who, why? Why was this a good idea? And then usually the answer is, I thought this was a good idea six months ago when I didn't know better. And that's okay. But yeah, I think that knowing like the three U's and knowing that one of them is going to have to come back to this code at some point. Um, yeah. So that's when I'm writing code, when I'm, you know, committing code in the very beginning, right. You don't have anything that's in production, if you will. And so you, you can make the justification that, well, it's not in production. So we'll just, we'll just throw spaghetti at the wall. 
and then we'll come back and fix it. And I don't love that approach. I mean, I understand the need for it, right? You're, you're really just trying to get out either an MVP or a proof of concept just to see if it works. Um, and you might, you know, some folks might say, hey, you're spending time where it's unnecessary. But to call back to something else that we previously talked about was treating these side projects or whatever they yeah. are as a startup, potentially a failed startup. But if you put that little bit of rigor in place ahead of time, now when you say, now when you validate that that idea, now you can go forward as opposed to, okay, well now we validated, crap, our code looks, you know, it's really rough. It's gonna be tough to extend it or or scale it. And so now yeah. we have to rewrite all this all right. this functionality. And as as opposed to doing a little bit of technical design upfront and then um, building it in a very modular way where you could easily, one of the, one of my favorite things to do, like in a React application, is to compose everything to where all I have to do is comment out one line of code and this whole, you know, potentially micro front end, when I say potentially, at some point it could become a micro front end, that the whole thing just goes away. Mm-hmm. Because I've gotten in code bases before where I have to make like changes in a couple of files and just to figure out what's going on here and to make it go away. And there's all this logic, this complex logic to to determine if it renders or not. And I'm not a huge fan of that. So I love to, to compose my, you know, um, my code to where it's a one-liner. I get rid of it and it's gone. Yeah. And because I think about when I come back later on, it makes it easy to say, I need to make a change. Oh, it's right in here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's, there's this really great thing that I'm thinking about from, I guess it's been a few years, but Dan Abramov used to say like a way to like get into a code base is to try to move everything into one file. Like, and and I think that's a really great exercise because, you know, that's what Webpack is essentially, well, what Webpack used to do, but also like it will begin to tell you very quickly, like how integrated or disintegrated your system is and uh, how flat it is because when you're like copying this file and then you have to go and copy this other file and then you have to go and copy this other file like it it gets um you know there's a there's a balance there and so uh i definitely i know we've talked about and it's maybe a conversation for another time but the idea of like uh, that atomic change and incremental change that allows for um very you know you know we want we want small change sets to that are easy to look over um especially as we we get longer in our get history. Um, right. Something I have to jump in there real quick. You mentioned like you have to copy this over and copy this over. A lot of times uh, it reminds me of when you join a new organization, right? You join it. And this is part of the overhead um, is that you join a new organization. And you have to do your workspace setup. Uh, you always have to do it. And I think about how can we make workspace, workspace setup as simple as potentially one command or very, very, very little commands. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we both joined organizations in the past where your setup is a day or two, just yeah. trying to get your workspace, your environment up. You've got to request a, a ENV file or some type of file, some type of config can file I, from someone I... else. And then you got to get one from over here. And then, oh, you've got to change this one line. And you're just like, come on, this is this is crazy. I don't know who's out there and listening to us, but I just want to put this out there into ether for whoever needs to hear it right now. You can save in files in one password. That's it. That's 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 the whole bit. It's like you don't need to like pass them from engineer to engineer. You can save them in your password keeper and just instead of saying get them from engineer X, 
uh, or find somebody that has it more likely, uh, just go grab it from password, uh, your password keeper, uh, because that's, that's a little easier. Yeah. Uh, but to your point, that's a little bit of silliness, but to your point, there's, um, yeah, there's, there's definite value in being able to do get clone and first time setup and start and like having that's, that's it. Um, you know, and making sure that, that engineers can dive right in. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's an effect that happens. Um, there's like negative effects that ha- that occur whenever we have large amounts of overhead. Um, usually when we join an organization, we're, we're excited, right? We, we just started at this new company. Um, I'm potentially excited about the product that I'm going to work on multiple code bases, mm-hmm. and I'm going to learn some new things. Always. I'm going to learn some new things. You join a new organization and you start setting up your environment and here you are at the end of the week and you're still having environment issues. And the, the, the negative impacts from that are a contribution to burnout and uh, a detriment to, to morale, right? You want to produce, as an engineer, you want to solve problems, but when you have roadblocks in your way or unnecessary overhead, it makes it really difficult to do your job um, and to do it like in a in an excited way. It kind of yeah. ultimately these things help lead to burnout. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I'll just say that that's one of the things that excites me most about like the work that I'm doing now is knowing that, you know, having, having been through those cycles that I have a direct and meaningful impact on that because like, you're so right. You like, and, and, and in my current position, developer productivity, like one of the things that I look at is what are all the things that one, you know, um, erode trust in our systems and lead to developer like fatigue because that's that's like when when we when we erode trust in our systems because there's this blocker and this blocker what happens is you get this myopia of like oh errors just happen right and they don't mean anything because everybody around you is like oh it's just happening here it's isolated or it's just happening sort of randomly and so like and you start to when you also start to ignore them that's exactly where I'm going. Yeah, you start to ignore them, and then you can't tell what the real errors are and what they are. What what's not a real error? And so, like, that's one of the things that excites me most about like what I'm doing now is is really getting to make sure that um, you know failure is is meaningful. Uh, that it that it means something. That means getting rid of lint errors and like uh, you know console log stuff and and little bitty things like that. But it also means like hey, your pipeline shouldn't randomly fail. And you and I talked about that last night. Like your your pipeline was randomly failing, and I was like, oh well. Um, and and you know some of that's outside of our control, like uh, our our cloud provider being slow. Uh, but yeah, it's it's you you start to ignore those things, and that's about that's where it comes back to developer ergonomics, right? Is when you start to ignore those things, you no longer have the posture to do your best work because you have to ignore all of these errors in the system. And some of them can be real errors. I'll tell you a story that recently happened to me. There was an, uh, something happening when I was doing some testing and I thought, huh, that's weird. This happening when I'm doing some testing. And so I reached out to another engineer and they're like, oh yeah, that happens sometimes. And I was like, okay, well that stinks. But and they're like, here's what I did to fix it. Okay, let me do that thing. And I did that to fix it. And then I was meeting with my manager and I kind of mentioned in passing, hey, this happens sometimes. You know, just as an example of stuff that was like getting, uh, that was, uh, you know, overhead and that was contributing to like delivery times and stuff like that. And uh, he's like, that's interesting. Do you think that happens in production? 
And I was like, um, I mean, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it happens occasionally over here uh, when I'm running these tests. And uh, so sure enough, yeah, though, it was like an actual bug in production. That, but that's the cost, right? It's like when there's this overhead of like, you just kind of get to where you accept that like, oh, sometimes, sometimes stuff breaks. I mean, that means that sometimes stuff breaks in production and you don't, you don't even know it. Um, so that's, that's really, really key, I think. And, and it does, it contributes to burnout, like, cause you get tired of sort of fighting the ocean as it were to just put a three line code change into production. And then you're waiting two days for, uh, and rerunning your pipeline over and over and over again to finally get it to pass. And it's like, that means passing doesn't really mean anything either, except for that you, you low yeah. rolled the lucky you just, dice. You just got lucky, yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so there's, I think, a lot a lot there that makes me really passionate about making sure that those things go away and creating a, you know, so I just create lots of lists and prioritize what's what's broken. Um, and, and, you know, from past experience together, there's a lot of that stuff that's broken is more important than stuff that's not. Yeah. Uh, anything that I'm building for rubber duck, which is my priority right now, mm -hmm. um, I'm constantly looking at this, right? Exactly what you're talking about is, is trust. I don't want to erode trust in my own code base. Um, and then when hopefully people use our applications, I definitely don't want to erode trust with the end user. Right. So, and the hope, and the hope is, and the hope is in the near future, we're going to have people working with us. And when we onboard them, we want them to have a level of confidence. Like I'm coming into something that's stable, that's been built with a solid foundation. Yeah, for sure. And like that, you know, because if they start with trust, like if you, again, asymmetric advantage here, if you can start with trust, everything goes faster. And that's why like setting up your workspace has to be so like simple and straightforward because that's your first, your first opportunity to establish trust in your systems is developer onboarding. Like when you when you when you pull down that first bit of code and you run, you know, yarn install and yarn start, if it's not flawless, like you immediately start the process of eroding trust in the system. Even if people are like, oh, it's no big deal, it's a couple of lint errors, or oh, the console's kind of noisy. Like it's not a big deal at first, but it's just one of those, you know, shifts in, oh, here's a bunch of stuff for me to ignore. And that's the beginning of the erosion of trust. Yeah. And then we get to the point to where it's like, well, uh, who cares if I add just a little bit more noise to the consoles, right? And mm -hmm. um, over time, then it becomes really difficult to to do your work. You know, these things act as morale killers. They lead to burnout. And uh, hopefully in the near future, we can have a conversation on burnout because I think that's a really important topic. I know I faced it myself, but something I definitely want to come back to. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there's a lot, a lot that in this conversation that bleeds over into that one. Well, Randy, thanks for uh, uh, carving time out of your busy day again for us to talk about uh, developer overhead and ergonomics. Um, don't know yet what we're talking about next week, but it could potentially be burnout. burnout. Yeah, for sure. And uh, thanks for thanks for giving me some uh, spare time because uh, I know I kept you waiting for about 15 minutes.